Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. So friends, as we continue in our uh, sermon series in Jude, um, contending earnestly for the faith, I have today urgent instructions to the beloved. How many of you are sick and tired of urgent instructions? <laughs> well, that's what you get when you spend time in the Word of God. And you might say, well, you know, he repeats himself. Yep. But listen, friends, this is interesting. I remember um, when I was a young teenager, I had, I had just received a brand spanking new eight-track tape player. Oh, wow, somebody said. How many of you have no idea what I'm talking about? Who does know? Who remembers? Those? Now, keep your hands up, you guys. You, who remembers that they would, they would mess up and get all screwed up inside? You had to take them apart. And it had that little thing that spin. And then it, was, it, it turned and went upside down and went right, and then it would, it would spin back. It was bizarre. And you, you could tape them, and then it would be, and you knew when the glitch was coming when you played it, right? Because it, 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 right? Who remembers those days? And then they came out with four track. Who remembers those? Four track is cassettes, you guys, in case you didn't know. Oh, yeah. Okay? So, and they were the best that the world had to offer. They were better than LP, right? But guess what? LPs are back. They are, right? It's bizarre. See how things come full circle? It's hilarious. This is no kidding. I told my wife last night, I, friends, you can say what you want, but I like good TV. I do. And to me, Green Acres is probably the funniest show on television. <laughs> right? I'm telling you, Eb, Eb, okay, who remembers Eb? Eb was the guy that was the farmhand for, for uh, uh, Oliver Wendell Douglas and his wife Lisa, right? Okay, and so in a... We're, I'm sitting there watching it, and it came on. I hadn't seen Green Acres in a long time because I've been looking for it. You know, I saw Petticoat Junction not too long ago. That was great. Um, then, and I watched Andy Griffith a lot. But anyway, so uh, I was watching this, and, it, you know, and, and my wife said, how do you know their names? Well, my gosh, I watched it for years, right? And so Eb, you know, uh, he, he, he had a dream that he was their son and that he wanted to date this girl, and he didn't think he was worthy. And so all of a sudden... Uh, 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 Eb starts having these visions, and uh, of course, and then he, he goes in and he, and he talks to them, uh, 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 Oliver and Lisa, Oliver, remember that? And uh, so uh, he, they start giving him encouragement, and then he starts having these sugar plums dancing in his head again, right? And then all of a sudden, it pans to this, him dancing with this young lady, and no kidding, his pants were this much too high, and you could see his uh, shoe, black shoes on with no socks. And, 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 of course, back then, he was considered a, a doof, right? Because you wouldn't, right? And now, it's class. Today, people dress that way. But back then, they made fun of it. You see how fast things change? 
Things change like this. It's crazy to me how fast things change. But the instructions of God have not. God has not changed. Has God changed? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Jude, verse 17, and we'll scroll through verse 23. Yes, there's only one chapter, so that's why I said Jude 17. Jude 17, 23, I'm going to be reading out of the New American Standard today because I believe that the direct translation is a little closer to what I think Jude was trying to tell us. But you, beloved ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now remember that. You, beloved. Who's he talking to? The church. Believers. Yeah? Church. Okay. He's talking to you. Right? He's talking to me. He's talking to those who believe. Yeah? Okay. You, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Keep that in your head because there's people in the church today that say, if Jesus didn't say it, I don't listen to it. If the apostle said it, Jesus said it. You understand? Believe me? Okay, so he said, ought to remember this. Remember that they were saying to you, in the last days there will be mockers or scoffers in some translations. Following after their own godly lust, they are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life, and have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire, and, put, and, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Now, there's a lot there. There's a bunch there. But I want to tell you, that what has never changed is the Word of God. It's been there from the beginning. We have different translations out there, but they all mean the same. Yet we live in a society that wants to change things to suit themselves. I know that by looking at Ed. He was ridiculed back in the 60s and today, he's stylish. Right? I never, th I told you before, I never throw my ties away. Well, I do if I got too many. But I never, I never get rid of them because they can't come back in style. I know it. They always do. And I'm telling you, when someone tells me that leisure suits are out and never come back, they're back. I've seen them. You can see the different color stitching on, all, and that's the brand new stuff that's coming out today. How many of you knew that? I never thought I'd see the day, but here they are. Now, here's my question to you. Are you with me today, or are you just kind of liking a stupor? I got to know. Because you don't seem to be too, uh, maybe I'm just juiced up, I don't know. But friends, Jude has thus far been clear that Christians have an urgent obligation to not only contend earnestly for the faith, but to listen. He has warned us of God's righteous condemnation toward the ungodly. He has warned us repeatedly of the ungodly people who have crept into the church unnoticed. And he pleads with us to never give in, never, ever, ever get in to their sinful thinking, their sinful belief system, and their sinful living. 
ever. He says, don't give in to their sinful idealism, their ideals. Now, Jude gives us a series of instructions that are designed to make sure that we stand strong in the faith that was delivered to the Christians once and for all. Twice then, I notice in these verses, he addresses his, his readers as beloved or the beloved. Now, in direct translations, it, it'll say beloved, but in a paraphrased version, it might say dear friends or those God loves or something like that. Anybody got to some of those translations? But nevertheless, it is used throughout the Scripture to describe and address those people as being very dear to the heart of the one using it. And in this case, it's Jesus Christ. And it is with such love in his heart that we find Jude giving the necessary instructions to keep us from being misled by the ungodly. And unfortunately, sometimes you used to be able to know who the ungodly were. They were the people that didn't go to church. But now, Jude says, the ungodly are going to be in the church. And that's dangerous. And you can no longer just assume that somebody is a godly and righteous person and not being led by Satan just because they attend your church. Which is why the Bible says, test the spirits. Which is why he warned us three times, don't be misled. There's going to be those who are going to do it. They're going to creep in unnoticed. You contend for the faith. You hold on to the faith. Don't ever let go and don't ever change. Why? Because he knows that the problem is times change. Now, I want you to remember this for a second. All things that change in time aren't bad. Okay. I am not even one bit, even a little bit upset that eight-track tapes are no longer because I, I know how much work they were. But I remember, and I'm going back to the story, I remember uh, I got this new eight-track tape player, and, I was, I was, uh, uh, and, and Grandma would let me play a little bit as long as I kept the, the, you know, the volume down. And, uh, and so she was out in the kitchen uh, doing something, and uh, my brother and I would, would live with Grandma because our house was a little, little bit big, and so the girls all stayed with Mom and Dad, and uh, my brother and I stayed with Grandma, and we actually liked that because, well, you know, it's better living with Grandma, you know, when you're teenagers. And so, and Grandma, you know, cooked, and Grandma always made his stuff and was great. So, uh, so I had this 8-track tape player, and I can't remember. I'm pretty sure it was Queen, and the album was News of the World. And for those of you who know that um, we will rock you, right, or whatever, uh, we are the champions, we're on that album. And uh, so here I am, it was on a Sunday afternoon, we'd had church, we'd come home, and I'm laying there, and, and there was a, 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 a big chair with uh, big arms on it, and then Grandma had a couch, and there was a table, and I had slid, plugged in back there, and I had crawled in between the two, and I was laying like this, listen to this music. And Grandma finally said, I don't know what in the world you're listening to. And I went and looked at her. She said, they say the same things over and over and over. They repeat themselves over and over and over again. Oh, you were listening. 
And she thought it was silly that they did that. But when things are repeated to you over and over and over again, eventually it comes to your mind. And eventually it's written here and you know, you know the song. And that's precisely why God has to keep telling us over and over and over again, there are dangers out there and you need to listen because he knows that times change. And friends, we somehow seem to act and react differently over time, don't we? Especially when we get used to the times or the times simply change us. I am never, I assure you, never going to allow the, the times to change me to the point that I wear black shoes and no socks and my pants a foot high. It ain't happening. I think Ed was a doof, and I think that people that wear it today are doof. Now, if you did it, I'm sorry, it's the way it is. And neither. You can call me square or whatever you want to call me, because that was, of course, that's the word we don't use anymore. But here's the deal. Neither will I allow outside influences to teach me what's right when I can get it right here. Okay? Because times sometimes change us. And I've seen people, I've seen people my own age, I've seen pastors my own age dressing with skater shoes on and things like that. Ain't happening. I'm not saying they're going to change what's going on in here. I'm simply saying that the only reason they're doing that is because society does it. Because times change us. Watch. This is pretty funny. Remember that you change in marriage, by the way. First year, seven year, and 30 year. Watch and see. Any sound? Should be. Anybody seen this before? It's pretty funny. Anyway, she, first year, she picked her up, takes her to bed, it's all good. The seventh year, he comes to pick her up, she, she goes nuts and tells him to get off of her. Watch. 30, 30 years. I think it's a scream. <laughs> what? <laughs> hey, you heard me say, anybody not convinced? There it is. And you know that that's right. You know that that happens, right? It's in, in, in you, even when you know it's coming, it still does. Right? Everybody laughing because you laugh because you're like, yep, yep. No? Okay, well, you're, you're in the minority. Listen. <laughs> so, here, here's, here's the message today. Remember the words... They have already been spoken. That's what Jude is trying to tell us. You got to remember what was said, okay? 
Because sometimes we forget what was said. And every now and then, when, when tough times come, we'll roll back on something that dad or grandpa or mom or grandma told us. And then we think, why didn't we think of that or remember it before we needed it? Right? We had to remember what was said. And we also need to remember who spoke them. They were the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were duly appointed. They were sent out by Christ himself. And Jesus made it clear that the word of God is absolutely the word of God. No ifs, no ands, no buts. That's what it is. Isn't it? You can't bargain with it. You can't change it. You can't interpret it any way you want to. It's the word of God. And it doesn't matter who wrote it or where. It's his word, all of it. We have to listen to and obey these words. It doesn't matter if Paul penned it. It doesn't matter if Peter penned it. It doesn't matter who did it. It doesn't matter if Jesus is speaking or he isn't. They were his appointed. They were the ones he put there. They're the ones he left there. And they're the ones that he told to write these things down. I know that because he told John, write these things down. And then he said, don't add or subtract to these words. All of them. So any compromise is our idea, not his. Amen? You see, it's not optional. And our opinions and the opinions of others absolutely do not count. Now, I know I've told you this time and again, but there's a reason why, because you're going to see the material again. Circumstances have nothing to do with whether you agree with the Scripture or not. Your circumstances don't matter as it relates to the Word of God. Some people will say, well, my circumstances. Well, I don't care about your circumstances. The Word of God says this you shall not do. Your circumstances do not matter. Don't you think that God wasn't big enough to know the situations you're going to get into? Do you think God didn't know what was going to be in this book? Do you think God didn't know that you try to compromise based on your circumstances? Yes. And he still said, this is my word. I don't want to hear that. And our feelings have no bearing of any sort. We want to think they do. We'd like them to, but they don't. John 13, 20. Listen to this, guys. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Now, Jesus is telling us, if it's in here and they wrote it, you're receiving me. And if you receive it, you're receiving the one who sent me. That's God. Furthermore, Deuteronomy and Revelation both tell us not to add nor subtract what's in the Word of God, for they are the commands of God Himself. It doesn't matter who put them on paper. And I think the church, my friends, would be an awful lot stronger, an awful lot more united, and a lot more powerful if everybody in it were willing to just do what it commands. What do you think? We have to remember not only who spoke them, but what they said. There will be mockers in the last times, Jude says. 2 Peter 3, 1 to 3 says, Dear friends, this is how my second letter, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders, right? 
to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desire. He's not talking about people outside the church. He's talking about people in the church. There will be scoffers will come into the church and they will have their own evil desire at heart. And they will do exactly what their master, Satan, wants them to do. That's discredit the teaching of God and downplay the belief system that Christ set upon this earth. That is exactly what they are doing and what they will continue to do. Here it is, the warning's right there. Amen? Now, he says that they would think, believe, and act according to their own ungodly desires. 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5, and 4, 3 to 4. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People be, will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. In other words, they will have a form of Christianity, but it will deny its power, which means it's not really Christianity. It's a form of it. Now, I don't want to stand before Jesus Christ and say, well, I had a form of Christianity. Anybody here want to stand there with a form of Christianity under your belt? Now, come on. Is this serious business? You see what I'm saying? Okay. He says, have nothing to do with such people, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. The time's going to come when we won't put up with sound doctrine? Yeah, we're intolerant of it. Guys, I'm living in that world today. I'm living in a world when we will not tolerate sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, he says, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Of course, that's not happening. They will turn their ears away from the truth, and they will turn aside toward myths. Now listen, these Christians think, my friends, that they're showing love to others by accepting their sinful behavior. That's what they're going to tell them. That's what they have told me. I'm showing love toward them when I accept their sinful behavior. They don't say that in so many words, but that's what they're saying when they refuse to confront it. You and I both know that's exactly what's happening. There's just no way around it. And I'll bet you there's an awful lot of people who wish they would listen to Paul Revere when he said the British were coming too. Huh? I think we ought to be listening when Jude's talking to us. What do you think? You see, these people that think they're showing love to those when they're accepting their sinful behavior are really condemning them. That's what they're really doing. If you really loved them, you'd confront them. And let God do what only He can do. Okay? And Paul is clear that they can't really be Christians at all. Why? Because they would condemn the sin no matter what if they were. They would condemn the sin. He didn't say condemn the person. He said condemn their sinful activity. Their sinful belief system. Their sinful practices. Yeah? You can do that and love that person. Well, see, pretty soon you won't be able to do that because society says, well, if you do that, you're a bigot. No, I just disagree. Do we even know what bigotry is? 
Listen, I can disagree with you and not hate you, right? It's not hate speech. It's going to be. It's, they're on the road to it. You say what you want, friends. I'm telling you, I'm warning you, it's, it's coming. It's coming. And since they won't condemn sinful behavior, Satan's got them. He's got them right where he wants them because he's the one that's going into the church and making sure that this happens. You understand? He wants this to happen because it waters down Christianity and makes it what? Not effective. Because if you can go to church and believe myths, you're not saved. And friends, salvation is all there is. Isn't it? I mean, do you think there's people in the church that it's not saved? Well, sure you do. Why? Because they're there. You know they are. They're believing myths. And what's a myth? Well, according to Webster, it's a widely held but false idea or belief. Society is widely believing these things, and it's not true. Can you see it? I'm watching it. I see it every day. And yes, I can give you examples. I bet you can too. He says, we, we also must remember what they wrote. And this clearly demands diligent study of the Word of God on our part. When we claim we didn't know, when we claim we didn't know, God is not going to allow that as an excuse. I know that with all that I am. He says so. God says, away from me, you evil doer, I never knew you. Friends, God, he, 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 he's serious. I'm not kidding. And when we're wrong about the things that we're believing or allowing, or what we're failing to condemn, God will definitely have something to say about this as well. Romans 1, 18 and 19, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. You see, the fact is the need for study is also implied in the next instruction. He says, remember the words spoken, remember what they said, and remember who wrote it because they came from God. Okay? Then he says, once you've done that, now what you have to do is build yourselves up in the most holy faith. Build yourself up in the most holy faith. To build up means to grow. It's not enough just to get saved or to get to the first level of understanding. A lot of people have done that, but they've gone no further with it. Hence, they continue to live in both worlds, and you can't. You can live in both worlds on this earth, but you won't in the next one. Anybody? Who wants to live in both worlds now? Some people might raise their hand, but I can assure you, nobody's going to raise their hand when you've got to choose between one or the other in heaven. Nobody's going to choose the latter. You know why? Because Jesus said, you shall not want to see it. You won't. I believe him. Anybody? I'm not sure what hell's going to be, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not interested. Anybody? Hmm. In fact, he says you have to continue to build up upon these things because Peter expressed it, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have to take advantages of opportunities to study and grow and learn, and you can't do that if you're not here. You can't do it if you're not here every week, every midweek, every Sunday night. You can't do it. Now, I know there's people out there that's going to say, no, I don't have to. Yeah, 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 you do. Because it's an opportunity for you. 
It's an opportunity for you. Now, I understand there's going to be times you can't go. Sure. But it ought to be part of your regimen. It ought to be part of your, your life. It ought to be part of your lifestyle. Because I found that I didn't grow until I did it. <laughs> it's real simple. And don't worry, we ain't going to kill it. Because I'm going to keep teaching as long as there's somebody that wants it. Until the day, like the song said, that my tongue is silent in the grave. Because that's what I've been called to do. And by the grace of God, I'm going to continue it. And I can only hope that you'll listen and teach yourselves as well. Because Lord knows this world could use it. <laughs> right? We have to build up ourselves, and that requires personal responsibility. Well, God, family, and other Christians are going to be there to encourage us. We're going to have to accept personal responsibility and make the effort. I can't make you do it. I remember um, there's, a, there's a, a movie out there with Al Pacino called Any Given Sunday. Anybody seen it? I've used it a time or two. I have to take the bad words out of it. But there's a speech by the coach that I think is unbelievable. It fires everybody up when they hear it. He says, now, I can't make you do it. No, sure can't. You have to want it, friends. They had to want it as players, and you got to want it as a Christian. No one can make you do it. And whether you want it or not will show every single day. Won't it? See, that's the sad truth, but we don't want to hear it, but it, it's still there. Again, I think there's going to be no excuses. Why? Because God's not going to accept them. You can, you can give excuses to people, and they might buy it and they might not, but in the end, it won't matter. Him, it does. His excuses? God didn't listen to excuses. And somehow we think we can plead with him. He's going to say, okay. No. No, he won't. Jude tells us that our most holy faith has already been delivered. And friends, I think this is what puts our personal faith to the test. Because it's a truth that's been revealed to us for all time. It's, of course, what Christ has done and will do for all of us. Salvation. That's really what it is. Either we're saved or we aren't. Agreed? Either you're saved or you're not. Do you, do you believe that? How many of you believe you're the saved or you're not? Yeah. Why? Does the Bible say so? Sure it does. Sure it does. Here's my other question. Do you know it? Do you know that you're saved? See, I, I, sometimes I come into contact with people and, and they, they hesitate. I, I, do you know that you're saved? Uh, if you don't know, you might not be. In fact, if, if you don't know, I would venture to say you probably aren't. But that, that's not important. What is important is you can get it right now, immediately. Yeah? Does God come in to save immediately? Does He save completely? No questions asked? Isn't that beautiful? He, he, he doesn't. But if we are saved, then shouldn't our faith prove it? You know that you know that you know. Why do you know? Because you know you've been redeemed. You know it because His Holy Spirit has come in and taken up residence in you, and you know you're different right there. Now, you haven't changed completely, but you know that you're different from that moment forward. Yeah? I did. Anybody else? 
Now, the first two instructions stress to us the importance of upholding what the apostles taught, to diligently study and apply the Word. But Bible study alone is never going to be enough. Uh, we got to do it, no question about it. And we, and we ought to do it. But it's not enough. You know, we also have to do according to Jude, we have to pray in the Holy Spirit. How many of you have ever prayed in the Holy Spirit? See, not very many. How many of you aren't sure if you ever have or not? Yeah, fair. And this, friends, is where I think sometimes as evangelicals and Wesleyans, Wesleyans meaning any Wesleyan theology, you know, and that's United Methodist, Free Methodist, Wesleyan Church, uh, Church of God, Anderson, uh, First Church, in, Church of Nazarene, uh, um, uh, independent evangelicals like Maryland, um, uh, uh, United Missionary Church, uh, Church of Christ mostly, uh, you know, American Baptist. You know, the, these churches are what we call evangelical Wesleyan theology. Uh, and this is where I think we kind of lose something here. Because those who manifest the gifts of the Spirit or believe in the manifestation of the gifts, uh, I think that they pray in the Spirit more because they seek the Spirit more. So just, I'm just going to throw that out there because I think it's true. But here's the thing. Praying in the Spirit is necessary and it's a complement to the Word of God. You know, if you ever come in and sit in front of my desk, many of you will stare at the salt and pepper shaker that's sitting on in front of there. And no, it's not because I might have a meal there someday. It's there for a reason. It's there because salt and pepper are separate and different as the day is long, but the fact is that you always see them together. Yeah? I use it in marital counseling a lot. But by and large, it's more than that, you see, because prayer has got to go along with Bible study. It has to. You will never understand or discern what you're reading if you don't. Amen? So God speaks to us by His Word and by the Holy Spirit, and by prayer we speak to God, and then He also speaks back to us. The Word of God is a source of strength, and it's a comfort to us, but then so also is prayer. Uh, I, I've been a nervous wreck before, and after prayer I was feeling pretty decent. Anybody? You see, Paul stresses all of this in Philippians 4. And I thought, well, let's think of prayer and the Word of God as the two legs upon which our spiritual well-being stands. Both are needed to be well-balanced in our spiritual growth. And then perhaps the Spirit is the third leg that makes it stand. That's the glue that keeps it together, you see. And we use that, that three-legged stool a lot, don't we? For a lot of different things. But it kind of works here, you see. And then I begin to think about it. But what if somebody doesn't know what praying in the Spirit means? What if they've experienced it but didn't know they experienced it? Or what if they've never experienced it? Can you pray and not pray in the Spirit? Yes. Yes. There are two different things. You can pray in the Spirit or you can just pray, right? How many of you knew that? There are two different things, okay? Now, Jude doesn't elaborate and tell us what it is, and neither does Paul. But Paul uses the expression himself in Ephesians 6, Okay? But what Paul does do is use the expression, walk in the Spirit, in Galatians. He says, walk in the Spirit. So I began to think about that, and I started to break that apart several months ago. Uh, when did I write this? It's been a while. Okay. And so as I began to tear it apart, he suggested that walking in the Spirit, uh, walking or living according to the Spirit's direction, as found in the Word of God, is what that means. Where you, you live or, or you walk according to what 
the Spirit, God says, and it's the same as the Scripture, where they go together. The Scripture says it, and the, Word of, and the Spirit of God seems to tell you the same thing. That's what walking in the Spirit is, according to Paul. And for me, I find that when I'm praying in the Spirit, that whatever I'm praying for or praying about lines up completely with the Word of God. Anybody been there and seen that before? When you're praying something, all of a sudden, it just sort of takes over, and you don't even realize that you're praying like that, and you're like, at the end, you're like, oh, where'd that come from? And it just boom, comes out, and it's almost like I'm starting to quote Scripture like this. Hmm, scripture I haven't even been in for a while, or I haven't seen, right? Boom, 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 it's just coming out. And then, sure enough, God will prove to me that I was praying in the Spirit, because just a day or two after, or a short time thereafter, I'll come across that scripture, and there it is. I'll be like, oh, God just gave me a blessing. Anybody done that, done that before? It's powerful, isn't it? It's powerful. But I also find this because when you're praying in the Spirit, it's impossible to ask for self-centered things. In fact, you usually don't pray about anything for yourself when you're praying in the Spirit. It's almost always about praising God. Am I right, Julie? When you pray in the Spirit, it's almost only about praying. Who, who else has done it? Anybody? It's almost always praising God when you're praying in the Spirit. It, re it really is. It's almost like the other things are secondary, and you might get to them. But right now, you're praising God. It's just there, you know. And you almost feel like Isaiah, high and lifted up, and feel unworthy in the presence of God. Right? Friends, everybody in here can have that. Every, there, there's not one person that's exempted from that. It's not a gift that just certain people get. The Bible says we're to pray in the Spirit. That means everybody can do it. Yeah? Come on, you with me? And it teaches us that our prayers ought to be in harmony and agreement with what the Word of God says. And if you're starting to pray for things that aren't in the Word of God, I would say you've got a problem, you're not praying in the Spirit. And we've all done it in a time or two. And that's exactly what John wrote in 1 John 5, 14. So clearly, not only is diligent Bible study and prayer in the Spirit necessary to keep from slipping, but Jude tells us there's even more things we have to do. And I know I've given you a lot, but I'm not finished yet. He says, we need to keep ourselves in the love of God. We do. Isn't that just a automatic? Apparently not. And that goes against everything that certain people will tell you, doesn't it? We have to keep ourselves in the love of God. This is a big one, friends, and this is the one that a lot of people struggle with, and let me tell you why. But it begins with more personal responsibility. And I really think that if you haven't done it, you ought to take some notes on this one. Okay? I'm going to try to explain it as best that I can. And God forgive me. I'm probably going to be inadequate because only the Holy Spirit can really do it, okay? But this is what I, I believe happens here. Notice he says we're called to keep ourselves. We're called to it. We're called to keep ourselves. Now, the Greek word that's used for keep is tereo, T-E-R-E-O, tereo. Can you say it? Tereo. Yeah, there's like a, like a, like a hiccup there. And it's the same word translated preserved in some versions of, of Jude 1. Anybody got preserved there? You might. 
And so while we're definitely preserved in Christ based on what He did and our acceptance of it, that's salvation, remaining preserved in Christ is completely affected by our willing cooperation with God. You understand what I'm saying? It's not enough just to say I'm saved. You've got to act like it. You understand what I'm saying? Because there are denominations and churches out there tell you, just get saved, that's all that's necessary. No. That's not what Jude's saying, and that's not what a whole bunch of other scriptures are saying either. Okay? Great concept, untrue. In fact, just as Peter wrote, we are kept by the power of God through faith, the power of God is the divine contribution to keeping us safe. And if you're outside of God, He's not going to keep you safe. Do you understand that? I, friends, I've done this before. When I was early in my faith, I remember the days that I thought, I, you know, it's almost like I do it almost without thinking. Uh, when I was a younger kid, I would... Uh, uh, take off, and it's cold out, and Grandma would say, hey, don't you need your coat? Nah, I don't need it. And boy, by the end of the day, I wish I'd had it. Because my high school and my middle school were 10 miles or 12 miles away from where I lived. And we lived on a farm, and people didn't just jump in the car, and you didn't just call people neither, like you do now. It's different. Times were different. Anybody remember those days? No, I didn't walk to school uphill both ways in the snow. But I'll tell you this, I did ride a bus, and that darn bus was cold. And I had to get out of the bus and wait on another bus at one school, and then get off the bus and wait on another bus at another school until I got to mine. Okay? And it was cold. And I didn't have a coat. Now, you tell me. Sometimes we do the exact same thing spiritually. God wants to keep you safe. But you're going to, sure enough, get up one day, maybe you've already done it, and walk out and say, no, God, you stay here. I'll do this in myself. Who's done it? Yeah. And you wish you'd took God with you, didn't you? Huh? See, I know because I've done it. Friends, it's a mistake. You want to take God with you. You want God there all the time. God can't keep you safe if you're not in Him. If He's not in you, He can't. Because there's a chink in your armor, and the devil knows where it is, and he's going to find it, I assure you. I know that too. Anybody with me here? We also have to keep ourselves in the love of God. I want to talk about that. The responsibility part, we understand. Keeping ourselves in the love, that's hard. This is the note you got to take. Jesus taught that keeping the commandments is the key to living in God's love. He taught that. Jesus himself taught that. In fact, he said it is how we will be loved by our Father, according to Christ himself in John 14, 21 to 23. Listen carefully. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Did you hear that? John 14, 21 to 23. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. So what's the opposite? If I don't keep your commands, do you not love me? That's what he seems to say. That's what he seems to say. And then Judas, but not Iscariot, said, But Lord, 
Why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. So if it's contingent, if his love and coming to live with me is contingent upon me being obedient, does that mean if I'm disobedient, he doesn't? That's what he says. Here's the problem there, okay? Well, before I get there, let me show you something else. And this, according to Scripture, is how Jesus said we'll be loved by the Son in John 15. Listen to this, John 15, 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. That tells me I don't have to. If he has to command me to remain in his love, that means I can stop and get out. Yeah? Okay? Otherwise, he wouldn't command me to do it. Okay? Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. If it's contingent upon my obedience in his commands, he just said, I won't take my love off of you if you obey. That's what he said. He said it right there. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. Jesus basically says, I am in the Father's love because I was obedient to Him, even to the cross, when I didn't want to go. And so must you do the same to remain in my love. Now, I know that some people are going to say that this is legalistic. Why? Because God never stops His love, and His love isn't conditional. My goodness, we've taught that since the cows come home. Haven't we? Yeah, I know. And, I, and listen, I, that's true. God's love is not conditional, and He never stops loving. But I wonder if the love is different. I wonder if it's a different kind of love. And why? Because He, he says it. Okay? And not only that, it goes completely against how most people see grace and mercy. Did I lose you? For him to command us to be obedient so that we can remain in his love goes completely against what we want to believe about grace and mercy. Did you hear me? I, I don't want anybody to, to miss this. Friends, this is not legalism. I know some people are going to say it is. Well, you're just so harsh. Well, I, I'm just repeating what was said, Okay. And it's not legalism. Let me tell you why. First, remember that Jesus himself stated it. If Jesus said it, is it legalism? No. Because Jesus was anything but legalistic. Yeah? Wasn't he the most compassionate human to ever walk the earth? Come on. Okay. So he wasn't legalistic, was he? And yet here he is saying it. Well, you must be interpreting it wrong, Pastor. I don't think so. I don't think there's any other way to interpret it. Okay? So go with, bear with me for a minute. But not only that, it's a simple recognition of the importance of doing what God the Father and Christ the Son have commanded. I don't think anybody's going to deny that. It is a simple command to be obedient, isn't it? Didn't He tell us twice in those two verses to be obedient, keep His commands? I mean, that's what it tells me. What does it tell you? Okay? Observing the commandments of Christ are, my friends, an essential element of recognizing, first of all, His authority, and then keeping the Great Commission. Jesus said so in Matthew 28. 
He said, keep my commands, remember what I've told you, and then go teach others. He, he straight up said it, just like that. Know what I said, remember it, and go teach it. That's keeping commands. It wasn't a suggestion. It wasn't a suggestion to go teach it, and it wasn't a suggestion to remember it. He said, do it. And I'm saying this and delivering it in the, e the most easy way I can because I know it might be a new concept to some that can't believe he said that, but he did. But I'm going to go further because keeping the commandments of God is really what matters. It always has been. See, in our minds, we don't think so. We think the circumstances might dictate whether we do or not. God doesn't say that. And this is the second time this morning I've had to say that because Jude does. In fact, Paul tells us this time, Paul says that it's the most important thing. Listen to this. In fact, he says it's the only thing that really matters. 1 Corinthians 7, 19, circumcision is nothing and, circumc circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands, that's what counts. That's the Apostle Paul. In other words, what you think, what you feel, and what you want to believe mean absolutely nothing, but obedience, well, that's everything. It's right here, friends. I know you don't want to hear me say his words, not mine, but that's what he's saying. And this, my friends, is expressly why some Christians, I put it loosely in quotes, don't like the Apostle Paul. This is why some Christians, some people go to church, don't like the Apostle Paul because he won't let them off the hook. They can't get away from it. Because he proves right here the grace and mercy are not the only thing. And grace and mercy don't give you a license to think and believe whatever you want, do whatever you want. And that's exactly what the church wants to teach today. That you could continue in your sinfulness and be saved. No, you can't. Because at salvation, you turn from your sin. Yes or no? Come on, friends, yes or no? Okay. That's not debatable. But to them it is. And God says it isn't. And they're going to say, if Jesus didn't say it, well, then I, you know, hey. Or they'll claim that Paul and those who take Paul as being the Word of God, well, we're legalistic. There's that word again. That's what they're going to say. And Jude says, no, it's just obedience. And Paul understood this, which is why he constantly wrote to the Christian churches pleading with them to be obedient. Now, many people at that time were watering down the truth, and they were using God's amazing grace to do it. And it's the same battle we're fighting today. Isn't it really? I mean, isn't it really? Friends, we cannot pick and choose what we're going to obey and what we're not. We can't. It's also the ultimate proof that we love God and His children. 1 John 5, 2-3, this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. In fact, this is love for God to keep His commands, and His commands are not burdensome. Now, again, how do you, how do you turn that on its ear? How do you change that? It's there. Clearly, love is connected to obedience when it comes to God. To remain in it and to have it. 
So what he's saying is along with Bible study and prayer, we actually have to apply God's Word to our lives. <laughs> I think we'd rather study it and then go live whatever, how we want to because that's what's happening. That's how all these different opinions are out there. But we can be legalistic, and it's not hard to do, and I'm not saying we should do that, but to avoid being legalistic or believing that salvation have to, have, is something to be earned, we have to look at the next instruction because this is huge. He says we have to wait anxiously for the mercy of the Lord. In fact, he says we must always be waiting anxiously or anxiously waiting. For what? Well, waiting for and looking forward to the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, according to Paul in Titus 2. That's what he said. Looking forward to the coming of the day of the Lord, 2 Peter. And looking for, forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells, 2 Peter 3. That's what we're waiting for, anxiously. Are you? Friends, I'm telling you, I'm not going to be surprised when God appears. I'm just not. Because I know He's coming. I know He's coming. And, and I, think, I think it's going to take us by surprise, but I'm not going to be surprised. Does that make sense? Right? Particularly as it pertains to mercy and eternal life. Because this is where the grace and mercy question is answered. We have to be anxiously awaiting for the mercy of the Lord particularly where it pertains to eternal life. And this is what's important, friends. Eternal life is not something we can earn. It was freely given to you, yeah? How many of you knew that? Okay. It is graciously given by Jesus Christ. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Yeah, right? You see, friends, we're saved. Not by works of righteousness, but according to mercy, that we might become heirs according to eternal hope, heirs of the kingdom of God. Paul says so again in Titus 3, 4-7. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. You see that? He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So basically, the prayer that Paul had for, for Onesiphorus, which is the character he's writing about in this passage, should be the prayer that we all have for ourselves. And that is, according to 2 Timothy 1.18, may the Lord grant that He will find mercy from the Lord on that day. I want to find mercy from the Lord on that day. But it's going to be contingent upon whether or not I was obedient. You understand? You see, friends, God's mercy and His grace are predicated upon our admitting our sinfulness. You write this down? His mercy and His grace are predicated, they are dependent upon our admission of guilt, that we are sinful. Yeah? That's where it begins. And then stopping the sinful practice, stopping the sinful practice, it doesn't matter the circumstances, does it? Stopping the sinful practice, and then asking God to show us mercy for what we have done. We deserve punishment, but we're asking Him not to punish us, but to show mercy. Because 
You know why it's merciful? Because the punishment is always what? Yes. It's always death. It's not time out. It's not taking the cell phone away. It's not letting us have Dairy Queen or a piece of candy. It's death. And we live in a society today that doesn't believe in discipline. We live in a society that doesn't believe in capital punishment. Now, mind you, God never said that. We did. And of course, Satan wants us to do that. Why? Because if there is no consequence, if there are no consequences, are we compelled to stop? No. And that's why God says, well, listen, you might think death is harsh, but that's what it is. Well, I don't think what I did deserved death. You might not, but God does. Right? And does it matter what you think? Is it ever going to matter if we think the punishment fits the crime or not? No. Has it ever? Will it ever? No. God says it's death, period. And you better believe this one's coming. It's going to come. And so when we ask Him to show us mercy, He then offers grace and doesn't punish us for the sinful practices, even though we deserved it. That's grace and mercy. But it's contingent upon the acknowledgement that we will no longer be sinful. We do the same thing. Okay, Johnny, you can get up, but only if... You can come out of timeout if... You don't do it again. Okay, I won't spank you this time if I won't kick you out of school this time if. But we've proven we won't kick him out of school. We've proven that we won't spank him. We promise that we'll let him out of time out anyway. So guess what? What are they going to do? Exactly what the world wants to do. You understand? That's why the world wants to do it. Because it'll punish me. But it's clear in God's sentiment that if we keep being sinful and disobedient, that none of this can be offered. You can't receive mercy because you're still doing it. He doesn't offer mercy for still being sinful. And if He doesn't offer mercy, He can't offer grace because you haven't been forgiven for it. He can't offer forgiveness for what you're still doing. Friends, why is this so hard for people to understand? Why is it the Christians will argue this? It's right there. It's difficult to ask for mercy and receive grace when you're still sinning. I mean, I, I, I would never dream of going up to my dad and say, Hey, Dad, you know, I'm still disobeying, but I'm hoping you won't give me that spanking. In fact, I, I'd like you to let me borrow the car. <laughs> My dad would have said, well, what, what you been doing? <laughs> hey, Dad, you know, you know them drugs you told me to stop taking? Well, you know. Hey, Dad, you know how I used to sneak out and take off? Well, you told me not to do it? Oh, I'm still doing it. I mean, do you see how ludicrous this is? 
Why? Because it shows you refuse to conform to the demand and the commands of your king. <laughs> That's it. And the final instruction speaks not so much to what we can do to keep ourselves from falling, but what we should do to save others in danger as well. And go, go quickly. The worship team, why don't you go ahead and come up. We have to have mercy, but we have to have it with fear. We have to have mercy on those who are sinful, but we have to have it through fear. Do you understand? Let me explain that to you because I think it's tough. There is a need for mercy. Don't you agree? There is a need for mercy in the world, no doubt about it. First, the Greek word here uh, means mercy, but it's also translated compassion. There's that word again. Remember who's the most compassionate individual to ever walk the earth? Okay? Jesus epitomized compassion, didn't he? But he never said anything about dumping judgment. Did he? Okay? Now, I actually like the, the compassion translation better because only God can offer mercy. Now, I remember that, you know, my brother used to beat the snot out of me, and I'd scream mercy, and sometimes he'd give it, and sometimes he wouldn't. And then I remember the day when I went to boot camp and learned some things that he didn't know, and it was the other way around. And that was a happy day for me. But I learned not too long after that that just because you have the ability to do those sorts of things doesn't mean you should. Okay? Yeah? It's called compassion on people. Sometimes we don't give people what they deserve, and it goes both ways. Amen? Now listen. The fact of the matter is, we can emulate God's mercy by being compassionate to others. First, to save ourselves. Why? Because mercy is only going to be shown to the merciful, James 2.13. But also, to save those who are in danger of eternal death. And that means compassion is needed to move us to this action. Friends, allowing simple behavior, saying it's okay, putting your arm around them, telling them how much you understand and care, is not going to get them saved, and they're going to face judgment. That's the truth. And other Christians who can't get it through their heads and sit there, no, no, the whole time you're saying it, they're going to get the same judgment. The Bible says that they are. That is how massive this is. Hear me, please. If we don't have compassion on people and stand on the Word of God and contend earnestly for the faith and tell them, no, then we will likely never show compassion to them because we're not showing compassion that way. We're condemning them. 